Welcome to So Farscape. A Farscape fan cast by a fervent fan. And a fresh-faced first-timer. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And this is The, the Story, Story So Farscape. So Farscape. So Farscape. Uh, well, we yeah, got, we we're, kind we're of getting, got, getting there, I think. And we've got there. We're on episode 103, Exodus from Genesis. The title struck me this time as a bit of a, ooh, a, a, a sort of Star Trek level of pretentiousness. It's the Exodus from it Genesis. Was, it was a little bit, yeah. I didn't actually look at this title before I watched the episode, but going back, it, it I see how it makes sense. Well, like episode titles weren't a, a, weren't such a big thing for most uh, for most TV shows at the time, and like the title never appears on screen like it does with uh, with Star Trek uh, or, e- or Babylon Five. Not even after the pre credit uh, opener, doesn't it? No, oh, okay, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Originally, these titles were just sort of shorthand for the production crew to remember what the episode uh, was about. That makes sense, yeah. Uh, and then it was decided that they were funny enough that they went to the TV guide. Uh, it makes sense to have that little bit of an extra teaser, I suppose. Like, they don't print synopsis in the uh, TV guides very much, I think. It, it has been so long since I've held a paper TV guide. <laughs> yes, it has been a very long time. I mean, time. you've still got them electronically on uh, on, on televisions if they, if they do live TV. Yeah. So I noticed that uh, the designers of the Orville had a bit of a uh, peek back at Moira. Really? I think so. The whole sweep swept back open space behind the ship. It, it kind of like reminded me a little bit of that. Oh, oh yeah, where the, where the points of the tail come together. Exactly. Although in the, in the Orville, it's more of a aft engine bridge section, whatever you want to call it. So you can see that she's got like this, the, the three-part tail. And I think that's true for, for uh, the Orville as well, except it's more like, like fans. Yeah, it's more like a Geordie's visor stuck onto the back <laughs> with the engine exhaust port coming out <laughs> yeah. of it. So the scene opens with uh, Airbrows uh, doing some vegetable painting, or at least that's what it looks like. Yeah, initially, like he's 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 painting and he's humming away. He does a lot of humming and groaning in this he episode. Does, he's yes. Like, mm-hmm. Well, he always, he's always been a grumpy guy anyway. And you but, think that he's painting a still life until he picks picks up one of his subjects and just snacks on at it. At first, I thought he was actually painting the vegetables, but <laughs> yeah, that was just his meal. And then you see his terrible painting. Of himself. It's a bit... It's a self-portrait, and he's so pleased with it. Perfection. You know, it's like just a a blotchy painting, like, you know, six-year-old would do, maybe. Yes, exactly, because, you know, he's, he's, he's talked about how he's never held a tool before. I don't even know how to hold a tool. Clearly, and so clearly. now he has that confidence. Now that he's that he's that he swung the brist knife and and the, the luxon. Yes, <laughs> yeah. although looking at the photo, it's, it actually has the bowl of vegetables right in front of there with him. So I guess he's done with painting it now, and now he can eat it. Oh yeah, that's right. It's a really adorable painting, and I, I wonder if any lucky fan ever got that as a prop because that would be a real Ooh. treasure. So the next scene is also domestic, and I like that it opened with just these ordinary scenes of life on a spaceship with a crew that I mean, yes, that's what they're, really tra- that's what they're trying to establish. They're living here, and they're moving through the uncharted territories. Was that what they were called again? Yeah, the yeah, uncharted you got territories. It right. Yes, we are hunted by peacekeepers, lost in the uncharted territories with no purpose in life. They, they have to like live with each other and yeah and what does that what does that look like that looks getting like getting bugs shoved into your mouth apparently yes Crichton gets to encounter the 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 standard mode of dental hygiene yes don't be a coward you say you want to clean your teeth which is a hairy little caterpillar sort yes. of white mm-hmm. with these it's 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 it wiggly it looks a bit like a shrimp with extra black bits on it and oh, like, right. like a, a two-tailed shrimp 
No, 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 absolutely not. Get out of my face. Why is it so hairy? I don't know. I mean, I guess those are the things that it uses to get between your teeth to clean the bits of food out. <gasps> floss, yeah. that's handy. Would that be floss, lip liner? It is basically one of those cleaning shrimp that you see in fish tanks, which eat the algae and the other oh, bits and parasites off. Oh, yeah, that's off. right, that's right. And apparently you get it shoved in your mouth and then it cleans your mouth, all because you said, I want to brush my teeth. Brush them! I want to brush my teeth! But to manually clean your teeth, as you describe, is highly inefficient. It's too damn bad. You're not sticking that freaking maggot in my... Here you go. This is a standard method for it. Never swallow a dentic. Ah, yes, dentic. That's what they're called. And he does <laughs> yeah. actually just spit it out. It's kind of minty. So, I mean, like, are they single use? I, mean, I have no idea whether you can just pick them up off the floor and, well, they're, and they're self-cleaning. You know, I mean, they are cleaner things. It's kind of a brilliant, like, idea that there would be just a creature. It sort of reminds me of those those birds in, like, alligators' mouths that sort of happily live there, like, picking out the detritus oh, yeah. <laughs> from, their, from their meals. What you doing? Cleaning all the excess bacteria and food particles. What are uh, they called? No the idea. Little, the little... Teeth-picking birds. I don't know. They're like well, we'll call them dentics. Dentics. Oh, might as well. <laughs> I mean, life imitates art, doesn't it? It does. It does. So very quickly, they are summoned to the to the bridge. Oh, I, it was it was the first instance of my favorite line from any science fiction series. You better get up here quickly. You better come up here and take a look for yourself. Yes, or to see for yourself or whatever. The, they why found do people say that. Just describe what you're yeah, seeing. Yeah, it's like they found Alderaan. That's no moon. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a beautiful shot as he as he comes up to the the bridge and the camera sort of pans across and we see out the the viewport. Yeah, a golden cloud of particles, which is first you think it's the sun with a, but they call it an asteroid belt. Although uh, Tentacles quickly says it's like that's no asteroid belt. Asteroid debris does not move like that. Because you see all these That's sort of true. tides and currents in it, it's 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 really gorgeous. Like this, I, I remember when I when I first saw this, I was just blown away that this would be an opening scene because the camera is constantly moving in this show. I don't know if you've noticed already. Like it's mm-hmm. all steady cam, so it's always always gracefully moving. And then to have a green screen shot like this that you just sweep into was a very expensive effect for TV. Okay, well, I mean they did it on Star Trek. They had the stationary cameras a lot of the ah, time. Ah, okay, that makes sense. And yeah. That's easier to easier to do. And now they yeah. have to sort of mat and the and the. Uh, uh, motion matching with uh, with 3D rendered content outside like we're kind of spoiled with that yeah. now but at the time it was woof I mean well, for, for the content outside you wouldn't have to include parallax I mean you wouldn't get that on a, such a small uh, motion no that is true and I don't think that that was uh, uh, that that was produced here as well um, we do get like one of one of my favorite effects continues to be the appearance of a pilot in his in his little clamshells that he's got ah, everywhere yes. perfectly shaped for his his adorable head which makes me again think that he might be part of the ship, you know? The fact that it ha- happens to match his, uh, his shape so yeah. far the fact makes me think that he might just actually be rooted into place at least or have at least a more symbiotic relationship with uh, Moya than uh, That's everybody else thinking, has. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's constantly in his den. Which is huge. We, we, we got a first, I think it was the first time we got an actual good look at the entire room. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's enormous. Cavernous. Yeah. And it's got the, the deep pit going down. Of course, and you have to have the, uh, yeah, the HIPAA-not-approved uh, walkways, <laughs> which don't have... Uh, <laughs> like, no railings. Uh, health yeah. and safety is not happy about this, but yeah, that's how it goes. Hey, but they've, got, they've got military discipline on these, on these craft. Certainly Aaron, who's at the sort of command station. And she and... I mean, she and Pilot are pretty in tune at this point. Like you saw, yeah, they work very well together. We work together well, Pilot. 
as everybody else was uh, was catching up, in particular Dargo, when she illustrates uh, the, the debris is not the problem. The debris cloud isn't our problem. No, the ship on the other side of the debris is. Yeah, which she summons a, a cool sort of table hologram, which... Uh, which looks amazing. That's another ship. Crichton's, like, astonished at that. Oh, cool. He seems to take it in stride. He doesn't seem to be gawking at the uh, hologram for what it is more than for what it's uh, I noticed uh, showing. I he, he gets, he, you know, he gets it pretty quickly. Um, and then, and then uh, Dargo, uh, once he realizes what the situation is and why Aaron has been moving, instructs Pilot. Pilot, stay behind the debris. Like, Aaron yeah, like, rolls her eyes. Yeah, like like he wasn't doing that already. Which stating the okay, obvious. so which is the one question I had about this scene is like the ship is shown to be scanning the debris field. Scanning the ship is scanning. So I guess Moya scanners much, must be much better than this uh, marauder ship that I believe they called it. It's a marauder. Yeah, that's right. Because, because they can't, the Marauder can't scan through the debris shield, but Moya has no problem in scanning them, or at least noting their good point. noting their presence and getting a very detailed look at their ship. Weird that a prisoner transport has a better scanning suite than well, yes, uh, a, assume, a, a, a prison hunting ship. I assume that Moya wasn't a prisoner uh, transport by design. If they were hunting a Leviathan, yeah. maybe they'd purpose another Leviathan for it. Or at least get a ship that you know has a better scanning range than a Leviathan. And more speed, because this one's a, like the Marauder can only go Hetch 7, which right. Crichton already knows. Huh? Hetch 7? Things are Hyundai. Why don't we stop playing hide and seek and just smoke them? Yeah. <laughs> and then you know that, yeah, then they'll know where to look and we'll get the entire carrier behind us and we can't outrun those. Or they um, could just, like, blast it out of the air, but apparently they can't do that either. No, they don't have weapons. Well, oh, Moya doesn't have any armory. No weapons? So why not lighten up? Yeah, yeah so Moya's armed, just yeah. a, a, a uh, space whale. Well, I mean, I don't know. Space whales might have weapons. What kind of weapons does a whale... I mean, you have toothed whales, yeah. now that I'm saying it. Narwhal. Yeah. Oh. Ramming maneuver. That's a good one. Yeah. That would be a cool design if she had sort of a, a, a horn, a tusk. Oh, yeah. That... Because that's what narwhals have, right? It's not, yes. a, it's not a horn. It's just a tooth that's grown yeah, out through their it's, head. Yeah, it's a huge uh, tusk. Wow. Yeah, it like, doesn't sound pleasant at all. But Nature is weird. As we see when the asteroid debris sort of, sort of slurps. Coalesces in a Star Trekian energy creature will now be invading your ship kind of way. Yeah. Which kind of gives, well, it doesn't give it away. It's like obvious that it's happening. And uh, yeah. Slithers into, into Moya from space. But uh, I'm sure that that's not going to be a problem. We're not going to have any problems with that. The ship is invaded. But nobody knows this yet. Nobody knows this and yet. They're just and going about with their, and after uh, their daily lives. puts a uh, scuttlebot back on its feet. Go play. Which apparently got knocked over by the invaders. We go to the uh, credits. Yeah, they're sort of, they're sort of finding their, their, their footing with this. Because th- this was an interesting production. Um, they were using, oh, what are they called? Episode blocks or episode pods. It's, um, it's a filming technique used in Australian television, particularly soap operas, yeah. where they take three episodes and film them simultaneously. Oh, yes. So you have three directors, you have three, three units uh, uh, filming scenes for, uh, for these episodes uh, to make optimum use of the sets. Certainly handy at the beginning of a series when some sets are still being built and you don't know where yeah. you're going to be able to to, to, suit, to shoot. So the first like six episodes were were shot in in these three episode blocks, and this one was actually like most of the scenes in this one were the first ones filmed. So the the actors were still finding their characters, right. and and the idea was that they would have this as as some a bit of a playground, and then 
a few days later or a week later, they'd film most of the scenes for the first episode and then have their character more grounded by right, that Right, so they'd already have an idea of what they were going to, where they were going towards. It's it's an interesting way to work, but it seems like an absolute logistical nightmare. Yes, it's also tough on the actors because they have to like, okay, where yeah. are we now? Which episode are we in? And uh, But yeah, so it starts with the scene between Erin and uh, Cressin who are having an <laughs> argument. And yeah. she shows the disdain of his... Uh, I don't think she calls him a lower life form yet at this point, but no, but it's certainly it, implied. And yeah, she's like clearly unimpressed with uh, with him so far, and he's frustrated about it. Like that's yeah, a, it's like that's a theme cut, throughout cut, this episode. Cut me some slack. Zan is a is a is a voice of calming reason. Like she she, she understands she always him a lot is. better, uh, uh, as well as with Rigel when she goes to visit him. Ah, yes, and we have some data-esque levels of speed painting. <laughs> yeah, by, by, by Zan. By Zan, yes. And I, I liked how, like, when the when the ship maneuvered, uh, uh, everything sort of lurched, and so his, his brush cast a, a great big swath of red across his painting, but he also has a swath of red but on his face. But he got smashed into the painting itself, so, yeah, he's sort of like... He, now he it's ruined, it and she goes, oh, no, no it's, it's more accurate than you'd think, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's more accurate than you think. <laughs> <laughs> They've got these gold sheets that yes, that you use to wipe. I noticed that later as well in I the can't in the bedroom. Are comfortable? No, I don't think so. There would be. I mean, no, not nothing that like Earth produced at least would be comfortable if it had a sheen like that. Yeah, but uh, you know, space mechanics might have different. Uh, that's the spirit. Hey, usually, I'm the one who's trying to convince you. Yeah, but it's space stuff, so it's probably fine. Yeah. And uh, actually, Moya might just extrude them herself or something, and they might be like golden silk made by uh, or Moya they might herself. just be cast off skin follicles. Well, you know, it's like if they're big enough, just cut exactly. them into a square. And- Moya's elastic skin saved us. Uh, yeah, that painting that that Zan makes of of Rigel. Hmm. It's called a spirit painting. We Delvians do it for recreation. <laughs> it's rather rushed. I thought she said speed painting, but yeah, spirit well, painting. Well, certainly she, was, she yeah. seemed to be on speed. Yes, we do that for recreation. And, and it's like a very regal-looking Rigel. Yes, it reminds me a lot of Rigel the First. Uh, yes. My, my most honoured ancestor. It looks like Rigel the Great. Rigel the First, my most honoured ancestor. Obviously a part of his spirit resides within you. Mm. Well, I mean, he was the first of the lion. You had it so very easy. A brief trip back to the the loading bay, just long enough for Aaron to get stuck with a with a little needle shot out by by one of the the space bugs. Yes, they're they're like scuttling about, and I was like, the whole scene reminded me a little bit of Lex. And it's like bug bot seeking, bug bot seeking, like these little <laughs> yeah, because he misses a few times exactly before he gets that, and you see it through his perspective, <laughs> and they have this weird blocky vision. Bug bomb malfunction. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, she finds a metal splinter in her hand. It's got a little blood. She wipes Pulls it away. Pulls it out, no drops it, yeah. Metal splinter. And then uh, and then the little bug picks it up like a like a little creepy DNA Roomba. At that point, you're going like, oh, what are they going to do with this? I thought it was a, first I thought it was a poison needle, but then when like she just pulls it out and like the little yeah. bug collects it, it's like, oh, okay, it's going to be one of those episodes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And Dargo uh, has one uh, that he's plucking out as well. And Cretan is consulting the Ouija board. The giant Ouija board says... Uh, Optimum plus three. Feels like plus 30. Discovering <laughs> yes, that, like it's, that. <laughs> discovering that it's a little bit warm here. A couple of degrees above zero, of, uh, about, above optimal, which is very cleverly never defined. Yeah, right. Optimum plus three. So apparently everyone has an optimum temperature. Despite the fact that uh, uh, Dargo describes the temperature once it gets a little bit warmer as, on Luxa, this would be a mild winter morning. On Luxa, this is a mild winter morning. 
Yes, so he must be cold, although, or maybe they're just like super well adjusted to a wide range of temperature. I wonder if he's cold-blooded as well, because he, he sort of has a... Oh, uh, if he is, and this is considered a mild winter morning, then I don't want to see him when he's in a hot desert area. He must be absolutely mental when, <laughs> when that happens. <laughs> yeah. If this is him well, it operating... Doesn't seem at to, it doesn't seem to affect him. Well, no. as the as the as the temperature increased, because he's right. got the sort of oh, what's it called? Is it like a, like an octopus look about him? What oh, are they the, called? The dreadlocks. Cephalopods. Oh, right, yes. Oh no, fish do get more active when it's warmer. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there's no there's been no indication that he's cold blooded so far, unlike uh, our peacekeeper now. Yeah, I think finally the species gets named. She's a sebation. A sebation. Sebation's like the gland necessary to regulate extreme thermal increases. Sebaceous. Sebaceous. What are sebaceous fluids again? I don't know what sebaceous fluids are. I know cetaceans are like yeah. dolphins and, and, and oh, other yeah. sea mammals. So, so we now know that, that the peacekeepers are all one hyper-militaristic species where the weak get weeded out. And yeah. This is like a thing that she has hanging over uh, Cretan for quite a bit. Like she's always going, oh, you, you're weak and useless. Yeah, and that's something that's that's really starting to get to Crichton. And he, and he opens up to Zahn about it. And as usual, like she is the voice of reason and, and, and also like a great counselor like she's yeah, she's she, the Diana Troy with uh, a little bit more uh, sort of charm and, and 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 wisdom time and patience time and patience is that your answer for everything yes because it's always the right answer okay yeah so there's a problem with the heat fence apparently yes that's where they realize that the temperature is increasing Diagnostics are showing some sort of blockage in the vents preventing us discharge into space. And they go yeah. looking for the heat vents, and that's where the scene happens. Where like the, And he even doesn't know how to open a valve. Takes me ten minutes to figure out how to open the door. Now, as a UX guy, which is, which is kind of my thing, that valve with its, with its weird sort of curved scimitar shape, he, he uses it correctly. Like, yeah. that is the way that you would grip it. And when you grip it like that, then you push it. So he pushes it down, whereas Zan takes the, the inverse position and, and pushes it up, push it up the, yeah. by the knob. But she counsels time and patience. For everything. You'll need to develop some patience yourself if you expect to survive here. And I like that she also gives him gives him advice that they're both... Uh, like, he wants Aaron and, and, and Dargo's respect. They're warriors, they're soldiers, they respect actions. Yep. Get things done. Actions, actions speak to them. Actions like tactical manoeuvres, defending the ship, fixing the heat. Which happens almost immediately in the next scene. Because he, yeah. goes, he goes checking the rest of the heat vents, which for some reason the, the ship's engine heat vents run through the crew quarters. Ditto Zane and Rigel's quarters checking mine now. Which I thought a bit peculiar, but... Okay, so this ship does not appear to have, like, room-specific HVAC. No. Because the, the whole ship is one temperature, and that's, that's, and that's it. that's it, yes. Like, they but don't why, have... why would you run the waste heat fence for the engine through the crew quarters? Well, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you, uh, uh, you... Like, a problem with a spacecraft is all the heat that it generates. Yes. You can't... Vent heat, you have to radiate it off in space, unless you're actually well, you can dumping... vent hot gas. You will, yes, but then you're dumping mass, and that you're going to run out of that at a uh, prodigious rate. Like, yeah. That's no, generally no, not a good idea on dumping large amounts of mass on spaceships, especially not if you have massless drives. All attempts to chill the ship are being overridden by the heat buildup. In these quarters, uh, where we get, again have the beautiful golden sheets that we uh, meant, briefly mentioned before... Yeah... He finds one of those little bug things. The, the little DNA Roombas, yep. yeah. And, the prob- and they're creepy, yeah. aren't they? They've got the sort of carapace and the... I mean, they're, they're very much like the scuttlebots, but now uh, buggy. And they, they kind of like 
move around. Oh yeah, that's right. I they probably used the same like interior and just made an very, extra. Very good chance that they just put a different shell on a scuttleboard because they they kind of have to like you know disc. Well, these are shaped more like a uh, what you call it? Well, uh, like a beetle, I guess. Yeah, like a like a. Oh, not a cockroach. What do you call the little little? They're under rocks. Yeah, because they've got the sort of Pillbugs. scales. Pillbugs. That's yeah. the one. A little bit, yeah. And then you have the little, the little gun on top they used to shoot, shoot their darts with, and the little proboscis or paws or to pick them up with. And of course, he says like, "Oh, don't let them get back into the vents," which apparently uh, our Luxon warrior notice knows that they came from. <laughs> no, it's it's because. It's because Crichton says so. Like, they, they, they must have come out of the vents or something. And then he says, don't let them get back in the vent. And, like, oh, Dargo just stating the obvious. It's so great. And the moment that happens, one of the, the first one who was in the room ducks into the vent. And you can see him going, oh, there we go again. I'm already f***ing it up. Because he's up on the, of the almost on the ceiling. Like, he's a, he's a bit of a wuss, Arkwright. He is a bit. He does. He, I mean, I would be for, like, space alien bugs. Oh, yeah. Well, they might if they're two feet long. Two feet long space bugs. Yeah, especially when he starts blocking the entrance to the vent, and this a second bug which has been scuttering about suddenly extends some very long spindly legs and yes, and, and stands up off. a lot more. Uh, then he can do the uh, the hokey cokey. Darling, I don't dance. Uh, shuffling back and forth a little bit until Creighton uh, grabs himself uh, one of these uh, these beautiful blankets again. They're here. They come the again. golden sheets. Um, yeah. Manages to jump the bug with it and bash it around. The whole fight with the buck leaves him rather shaken, not stirred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, uh, I mean, certainly, certainly the bug, which is just a pile of goo at this point. Well, that gets ba- bashed about quite and a lot. And he's so sheepish about it. Like, like I, I sort of got the, got the impression that he was just super embarrassed about being scared of this thing, and so he overreacted and, and had to kill it. Smashes it twice, once against the floor, once against the wall, and then he starts walking off with it, and it's cut us again, so he smashes it. Some more. <laughs> He's terrified. Uh, there's apparently enough to analyze, which uh, which Zan does. But if I can analyze its DNA, perhaps we can understand why it's here. And discovers that it's got human DNA. Yes. Uh, that's Specifically, Cretton's DNA. My DNA. How can that bug be carrying my DNA? I love that she was able to study the DNA through a microscope. Well, that's what the analyzer is saying. They find some gunk on a door, which uh, Dargo is trying to cut open with a, a, a prison laser saw. Nothing can resist a prison laser saw. Well, you better check the warning cause, because that stuff ain't budging. Which doesn't seem to be very effective against the against the not, gun not against the, the blue goo. No, it does work a lot better against Moira's interior. Uh, yeah, much raging the pilot. Yeah. Yes, how, how dare, dare you cut into Moira without warning? And the little scuttlebot pokes him or zaps him, whatever it is that he does, exacting a little bit of impotent revenge. Uh, Crichton wanders uh, over and encounters Izan standing in the corridor. Yes, who doesn't speak to him, and she's she's using the heat vent incorrectly. He helps her to to, to move it the way she's trying to move it, and, and he but, gets smacked around for his troubles. Once he realizes that hey, you're you're opening these heat vents, or uh, no, you're closing these heat, these these heat yeah, vents. Trap the heat in. Zan kicks his ass quite uh, quite handily and pukes blue gunk all over the yeah. uh, uh, the vent control. At which point, I was kind of like surprised that Crichton didn't immediately leap towards the idea that, okay, this is something else. Like, he's still kind of assuming that it is Zahn. Yeah, he doesn't know any of these people or uh, how, how inconsistent they are, so, like, he just accepts that this is another one of those weird things. Zan just beats crap out of me, then spit up that blue snot the bugs use. Goes up to the bridge to talk to Aaron, who... Same deal, like she's... Doesn't say a word. Yep. Nothing, just stands there working the controls. Uh, and Pilot, with some concern, notes that she's turning up the heat even more. She is initiating a thermal increase. 
and which would be a very strange thing for her to do because she's the one who's like starting to suffer from uh, heat stroke Sebation here. heat delirium. Yep. Yeah, it's getting pretty bad for her. But so he tries to stop her. She fights back. Do not let her execute that command. Thanks a lot, pilot. That's a big help. Uh, there's a bit of a scuffle, and she he, dies from having her arm ripped off. Her, yes, but blue sh- gunked arm, which seemed a bit weird. I mean, for a creature that strong and a creature which is apparently identical on the molecular level as on we the learned. exterior. Oh, is that only yeah, the, the exterior ex- oh, okay. down to the? This is a perfect duplicate of Aaron's exterior, right down to the micron. Which seems weird, and then you, uh, you just rip its arm off and it dies. I thought that was a bit of an easy win in the fight. I mean, they are just little bugs, basically. I mean, little little sp- two-foot space bugs, like, blowed up so to... What's the blue stuff? Is that a shell around the bugs, or is this some other... Oh, no, that's a good question. Yeah. So, are there, is there still sort of bug ligaments inside, and the rest is just sort of filler? I don't know. For like, the... Or are they... Well, I mean, they're, 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 they're grown completely separate. But even if it was just a bug inside, then definitely ripping its arm off would not be enough to kill it. Then again, maybe, maybe this is just a very good representation, a very good imitation of sebation physiology. I did say one of the potential uh, hypotheses for why sebation and humans look alike is that yeah. it's pure coincidence, and she actually slugs on the inside. Right, but the odds of her being blue on the inside are very small, I guess. Uh, are you going to check? I'm not. I don't think I'll be given the opportunity to keep your hands off and your nose out of other people's business. So they put the uh, the corpse of faux Aaron. On the uh, uh, on the examination table, and I noticed this immediately. The camera stands. The camera is still. Yeah, it's so jarring in this show where where the camera is always always moving. moving because I, you you have the composite with with Aaron standing over her own yeah. imitation corpse. And the, I don't think it looks like they used a mask or a puppet or something like that. No, I think no, it's I think it's just just her lying yeah. down and, uh, and and standing up. It's just like this this vacant stare into the camera, which is yeah a little bit creepy. But you know, I mean, it is just a ripped off head. So they realize that they're being imitated, and Dargo the obvious has a has a has a brilliant idea. Dargo the obvious, yes, let's go with that. <laughs> he takes out his brisk knife and suggests cutting the tip of our finger off. He's he still has that brisk it's knife. It's not a brisk knife. This is a regular one. I noticed it's oh, like, okay. more like a standard serrated <laughs> combat knife. Yeah, it's got a space K bar. So no hand, no fingers are getting cut off. Just a little spray on from the, I don't know what it is. It's just like a little... Some little paint, I guess. Red spray. Why would they have that on an, on an examination table? Well, this is also like the maintenance bay and the lab. Like it does, it does everything. It- maintenance bay. Lab section. It's just true, where they keep true. all the equipment. Zan is kind of smart about this because she she lifts her her sleeve to get the spot because yeah. like the spots throughout the rest of the episodes are pretty inconsistent in whether they appear or don't ah, appear, yes. and some of the doubles have them or not. Like they must have been struggling with the with the production. No problem with Zan because it's always covered, so you can't yeah. tell. The crew, after having done the examination, decides that they will have to keep, get into the bulkhead where the bugs seem to have hold themselves up. And who can fit there except... Again, there's a small place that in the ship that someone has to get through, so... You're the only one small enough. Rigel gets toughed through the hole uh, by uh, Darko. How dare you, you lucks and swines! He just throws him right out of his chair. (laughs) I know, just upends the the, the throne sled. Throws him into the hole, uh, much to uh, Rigel's chagrin. (laughs) Now, I noticed as a... I mean, as a long-time fan of this show, I noticed just how against type these early episodes were and not so much that the that the, the the writing was inconsistent but some of these characters i think i think certainly rigel were being pushed out of their defined character even before that character had really been defined uh-huh. like we see him uh, we see rigel now twice being pushed into into the role of of, of hero the first yeah. one like a surgeon you yeah. know a flying doctor in space and the second and the second one like i, I guess kind of die hard spy um both of which are are profoundly like 
he is not a courageous person at, no. at all. You truly are cowardly. But like I, I do recall from the, the the commentary track with oh I think it was Brian Brian Henson. Yes, Brian Henson and Virginia Hay did the did the commentary track for uh-huh. this, and uh, it's it's so good. She has such a lovely voice. She plays she plays San, and they talked about how in the early episodes they pushed these characters way too hard. Uh, okay, uh, like Aaron gets pushed into a vulnerable place despite the you know they, they didn't... her being the tough uh, girl and uh, Rachel yeah. gets being made the. Uh, the, the, they, the one who has to act the hero, and I guess his cowardice nature is going to persist through the, through the rest of the uh, series. That's just—he's like Oscar the Grouch. He's, he's uh-huh. cowardly and he's and he's selfish. That's who, it, who he is. I guess the uh, Zan and Dargo get to be get to be fairly stable. Yes, I mean Zan hasn't really done anything yet, other than be like be a little the, the voice of reason and be counsel. She seems to be the least developed character-wise in that point. I mean, she's yes. she's always talking about other people and doing things, but we know very little about herself i mean a little bit where she comes yeah. from and a little bit of what she's she, an anarchist what she does but not but what she is no i think that's a i think that's a very good observation like there's there's, there's we still don't know much uh, uh, much about her but like she is she is such a, a, a an adhesive for the rest of this uh, yes this crew. i mean it would have been flown apart uh, they would have killed each other by her. now yeah. I mean, they don't like each other no they don't no know each other. They're, they're at arms with each other constantly actually there are two people who sort of like each other and that's Aaron and pilot i suppose yeah they get along well I mean, they're both concerned with the ship's operations, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're both like disciplined, disciplined space travelers. Yeah. Like, Pilot is, is actual crew, and she, and she responds to that. Yeah, it's... Uh, and, he, and she respects someone with a, with a job, and the rest is just unemployed layabouts, as far as she's concerned. Well, yeah, I mean, like, Pilot is definitely, like, in the chain of command, which I guess that she would uh, respond to. Oh, uh, that's a good even point. Even though Pilot is like, no, there's no real boss here, but, like, you know, like, Pilot is the guy who flies the ship and doesn't look like anybody else can do it, so... Yeah. yeah, but only at their at their behest. So she yeah. goes and, and and visits him in his den, asking and for where we get he, this beautiful shot of what it looks oh, like. It's gorgeous, and he's so huge because we haven't seen the scale of him before. He's not that big. I mean, he's big, but he's not huge. I, I couldn't hug him. Uh, I suppose not. He extends one of his one of his claws to support Aaron when the when the heat starts getting to yes, him and remarks that that he's never been this close to a to a peacekeeper that he didn't fear. It is strange to be so close to a peacekeeper I do not fear. Ah, yes, and it's a compliment. That is a compliment. Yes, I don't think that she took it that way. No, no, like, that's she's why, a little that's bit why, ambivalent. That's yeah. why he clearly had to uh, address that separately. Because my first thought is, like, if she's having this, like, heat problem, why don't you just take her to the galley and put her in the fridge? Why don't you just take her into one of the... Oh, no, you're right. Yes, exactly. And they do talk about that, that the... That uh, says, like, I can't consumables restart... Consumables I can't restart the computer, but that's after they uh, get the... I think after they start working on the engines or something. Because they decide that they want to turn off the engines to try and reboot the system or something to get control of the heat yes. system. The only thing I haven't performed is a full propulsion shutdown. It would allow me to open the cargo doors to space. No. Doesn't now, work. why they didn't put her in a shuttle, which they have, oh, and launch they? that out into space. Oh, yeah, we do. You know they have shuttles, yes. Yeah, they use that to get back and forth. She has yeah. her own prowler as well. Yeah. That's got to have HVAC. You'd think so. So, yeah, there's a little bit of that. There's also a fun little confrontation between uh, between Dargo and and Crichton, where their roles are, are are sort of reversed for the first time. Where where Crichton unleashes some of his frustrations on uh, on, on on Dargo. You hate her, right? You hate peacekeepers, and you hate her. You want her to die. 
he's he's aggressive, he's accusatory, and Dargo, instead of like overreacting or mocking him, he's actually quite sympathetic. Like he realizes that Crichton is is stressed out and lashing out, and yeah. he won't let him. No. Like he, he sort of pushes him up against the wall, tells him to calm down. Listen, human. Everyone is frustrated. We're all hot. And we're all going to be a lot better off if we stop just wasting time and just fix this blasted ship. And, like, actually relates to him, which I, I thought was, like, a fantastic moment yes, for, for these characters. seems a little bit undargoish, at least yeah, right? him stepping out of his normal... Uh, blustery, aggressive role, I suppose. Yeah, he's he's normally over... <laughs> I noticed that in this in this episode, his physicality is is kind of weird. He has all of these sort of theatrical, like, uh, uh, when he turns around to someone, like, he takes the time to put down his tool and stand up and then takes a step around. Because the actor was still getting used to having a sword on his back. Right, and I noticed that as well. Yeah, he, he does get the sword out only once in the in the whole fighting against the bugs. And again, as usual, he doesn't use it. Yeah, I mean... You're, it's I a think, bad sword. He's only smashed someone with it once and he didn't even cut them. It was He takes it out mostly to posture, as far as I can tell. Or to polish it. Well, yeah. Just so like that. Got a bit of sword polishing there. <laughs> yes, uh, when he sneaks off to the... Oh, sneaking off. Uh, Rigel uh, has made it through the uh, the Jeffrey's tubes. What the yachts was that? Um... <laughs> Well, no, there's got to be there's got to be a better way. I mean, this ship is riddled with those Mo- uh, with those well, Moira's tubes in this case. But... No, he's not. He's not crawling up Moira's tubes. <laughs> I got a worm in my gut, crawling around down in places where the sun don't shine, and I'm sick of it. Okay. And he finds the infestation. Yes, the dark crystal esque bug central that he finds. Dark crystal is a great reference because there's a, there's a lot of like Henson uh, iconography oh, yeah, yeah. in this. I think Henson did uh, um, a little shop of horrors. There was little little bit of that vibe in there. There. Uh, I don't know if they did uh, if they were involved in the production of Aliens. It, it also reminded me a little bit of the the Alien well, Queen the, with the yeah. The, it's got the slimy curtains uh, hanging about. It's like and the ovipositor that's the uh, one depositing yes. the. Uh, so, where do you uh, think all eggs? that biomassa came from? Now, that's a good question. I don't know that space creatures have a carbon cycle mm. like like we do. I don't know that you necessarily have to eat in order to generate mass. That there may be no. well, other ways you have to, to do it. Acquire mass one way or the other. Well, maybe there are forms of like matter generation through energy absorption because mm. Moya has no problem generating air. I mean, you can't really recycle well, oxygen. Um, yeah, you can. You, you t- no, you t- I get said that, and I just immediately yeah. realized that I'm an idiot. It's, yeah, it's, it's CO2. Like, no, she can obviously... You just have to hmm. use energy to like break it back up again. And Yeah, so they do They do need to, to eat. But hey, maybe this was the, the creature already. I mean, which it's responding to heat. Which is actually an interesting thing about the human physiology, I mean, about a lot of carbon-based physiology. It's like if you... Lose weight, you oh. exhale it. Yes, it's like because it's the carbon which is being like turned into carbon That's dioxide. That's the only and way, walk, that... and you, so most of the weight you lose is being exhaled. It's, it's a weird concept to think about that. But then again, the opposite's true with plants. Like all those trees that was just like take, they don't yeah. take that up through the roots. No, it comes in through the leaves and it's just, it's just CO2 they absorb. Yes, and yes. Turn into- all of the bark, all of the, all of the, like, all, there's just some water and nutrients that come out of the, out of through the, the soil, root systems yeah. when they need some, I don't know, sulfur or iron or whatever yep. and to And everything else is just like taken from the air. I don't know. Maybe that's why the air smells so stale. Well, I don't know what the case is with uh, uh, with space creatures. I know in Star Trek: The Next Generation, the uh, the starships have bizarre collectors. That's the red bits oh. on the on the warp drives that oh, just okay. absorb 
particles and bizarre, antiparticles. <laughs> so maybe they have something similar. Maybe, just, maybe they're just constantly snacking as they uh, as they breathe through space. But yeah, it, it also reminded me this 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 infestation a little bit of uh, another Henson production, the 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 Fraggles, like the oh yes, Marjorie, the 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 trash heap. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. Yeah. Right. The prophecy of the trash heap. The pro- she's a bit prophetic, isn't she? If I recall uh, correctly. Yeah. So yes, we've got this big nest. Some kind of nest. Producing more bugs, and we see this like big cocoon-like thing slide on. And I love that little little uh, bitch f- fight between uh, uh, airbrows and tentacles about like <laughs> it's like nest. What do you mean? It's like nest. Is it too many letters for you, Luxon? Try hive. I mean, we don't know. We don't know what the what the word is in the in the Babel Fair point. That, that, that's being translated for them. Speaking of translation, Zan wanders onto the onto the bridge with a with a big sort of venom claw sticking out of her that oh, she yeah, can't she, get she out. Got, we, we saw how she got zapped by that in her quarters, and suddenly she starts like she starts speaking in the voice of the monarch. I am monarch of the track. Like her whole affect changes. Do you notice how she sort of stands taller and, and becomes more... Shater, yes. And she introduces like her brood as her aggregate. These are my aggregate. Yes. Which I thought was a cool term as and well. They are, they are having genesis. What the hell is genesis? Genesis, uh, yeah, genesis, yeah. yes. And, uh, and, oh, and they are the drac. Drac. The drac, is that what they call themselves? So, yeah. Yes, and she sort of stands there like she's the drag queen. Oh God! I didn't even think about. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Virginia Hay talked about that in the in the in the commentary track on this. How in the seventies she was often mistaken for a drag queen because yeah, she's a six foot tall statuesque woman, so she was used I to sort of slouching. So. Yeah, yeah, just to make herself look a little bit more feminine rather than a ah oh, weird. Yeah, she shaved her head for this show. Oh wow, that's I mean that's like that's they, they tried it with prosthetics and it just wasn't. Yeah, that bald, great. bald caps don't. Tend oh no, to never work do a bald cap because you're touching it up all the time. Yeah, that's. As but yeah, she. I, th- I think she even volunteered to like shave her head, even her eyebrows. Oh well, I mean, a lot of women pluck their eyebrows anyway. But and the makeup is just so it gorgeous. Must have taken hours every time. They had a bunch of different designs early on. Like some of the early designs for for the uh, the different characters were really interesting. Like she had a she had a version where she was like ink blue, and then she had um, sort of like like baleens, like the underside of a of a, of right, a whale yes. on her neck and, and oh, okay. gills behind her ears. But huh. as Virginia Hay said, well, we tried that, but then it sort of looked like girly rude bits Ooh. <laughs> so I, I also noticed that the the crew at this point still seems to be in the habit of t- addressing each other by species yes listen human a peacekeeper Tynarian Luxon a Delvian yeah uh, they always like seem to address each other by their species rather than by their given names Zan's the only one who gets uh, gets spared from this yes. because I guess like Delvians didn't really make a big like they then maybe just, the, maybe ordinary, there's, I guess, I guess or maybe there's just little cultural bias against Delvians, which yeah. would be the you know, prime cause for addressing someone by their species rather than by their uh, yeah, proper yeah, name. Yeah. There was an early concept for the uh, for the Delvians about their reproductive uh, uh, cycle. Uh-huh. Uh, it was never developed. Oh, I guess it was sort of reused in uh, in Mass Effect. Now I think on it that the species are all female. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, they 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 mate with uh, with males of other species, ah, yes. and then the resulting offspring is female, and then it's a uh, one well, of it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a blue version of the, the the father species, but then also female. Oh, okay, so maybe suggesting that her her father would have been a, a sebation like species, oh, yeah. but nothing makes sense. Done with that. No, all right. So we have uh, Creighton having a little run-in with himself. Yeah, that was um, 
It's a little bit hot, I thought. It's just a little too, too sort of jockey boys. Yeah, um, she's like he's posturing at each other. Guy in immediately notices the dot on his hand and just like shows off and goes like, "I can do that too." I've got- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, anything you can do, I can do faster. Ah, oh, just to be in the warm glow of all this testosterone. They have a little fight, a good little punch up, which I thought, and I thought like they, they were going to play that more. Like, okay, now we don't know which who's who, but they completely sidestepped that. Uh, I liked that because that's that's kind of. That's kind of dull. That it kind is. Of, I mean, it's unnecessary drama, like not knowing who it is. I, and, and I liked how he was sort of big dogging, like, "Oh, you know all my moves. Well, I know yours too. That's why you got your ass kicked by by yeah, your. Right. You're a bad. <laughs> That's why Eddie Marks kicked your ass in the seventh grade. You fought back. And he wanders onto the bridge with uh, his own his seven own heads, heads which is seven. also dripping blue. Okay, so yes, they're definitely. I mean, we've already established that, like, ripping an arm off kills him. So I guess ripping a head off is, like, you know... That is true for most creatures in the universe. <laughs> yes, generally speaking. Although uh, I have seen crickets walking around for quite some time after their head got ripped off. They still starve. True. So And they're, they're, it's just, like, blood pumping. It's just, like, whatever they have for blood, which is pumping through their things, which is moving them about, I think. It's like, well, see, they don't keep their brain in their in their head. Uh, I suppose not. You know, they've got yeah. their... They've got, you've got eyes and mouth parts. I guess that's the definition of the uh, of the head. Are your eyes... Where your eyes and your mouth are. Yeah. And then if you keep your brain in there, that's that's bonus. But other than that... Yeah, fair enough. Makes uh, me wonder where Dargo keeps his brain. Well, maybe in his kneecaps. I, know, I was different. going to say chest. I mean, he's got a big, huge chest, and the chest seems like a great place to keep your brain it if is. you're not worried about it over overheating. Yeah, well, which we've already established that he's like... He's fine with it. Yeah. At this point in the story, I really liked how uh, Creighton gets to show off his diplomat skills. It's like he's... Yes. He's really becomes like this negotiator with the monarch. Yeah, Uh, that's a very good point. And like recognizing that this is a misunderstanding uh, and wanting to resolve it. And normally this, you'd think that this role would go to Zan, but she's of course like being the the, the mouthpiece oh, yeah. of the monarch, I guess that was a good that was sort of a convenient way to to keep Zan out of the out of, out the, of the equation. Yes, and <laughs> uh, yeah, Kate, he, he gives a little white lie about how raising the temperature is going to damage uh, Moya. If you keep it this warm, our habitat will die. Yes, when in fact it's uh, it's, Aaron it's that's, Aaron. Uh, they have to worry about. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's very agreeable because he's had some practice with with first contact now. He has and uh, he's... with with the little house on the in the in the Perseus arm last <laughs> <Yes>. week. <laughs> I think Dargo sort of admires him for it because Dargo just recognizes that there is a that there is a conflict. We started this damn war. It is still a war. Either we die fighting them or we die from their hate. We didn't know. Even though the Crichton observes, like, we started this war. I killed one of them first. And we then, didn't know. Yeah. But Dargo is doing more realpolitik, I guess. And he does another uh, unnecessary bit of sword wielding. Uh, oh. where he's, <laughs> yeah. when, when, when three copies of themselves wander onto the bridge. And this time it's Creighton who holds uh, Dargo back. He just like stands in front of him and he pushes him back and like, oh, no, you mustn't and we must talk and we must negotiate. You asked the wrong warrior. Successfully. So our crew yes. withdraws to, to one uh, uh, one room, like apparently agreeing to to trap themselves because the, the monarch explains that she needs the, 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 the warm environment for her spawning process. Yes, birth her genesis. Genesis. The nest. This is some sort of spawning. And you're the queen? And so they lower the temperature just a little bit so it's more manageable for, for Aaron. Who's at this point still facing the, uh, what did they call it again? The, the living death. The, the living death. heat delirium. Which apparently turns them into zombies or something. At least they, they first they lose their short-term memory, then they lose their coordination, and they lose their long-term yep. memory, and then they become the living dead or something like that. It's the only time we kill our own out of mercy. Yeah. 
I like that. <laughs> we kill our own a lot, lot but, but not, not out, out of mercy. mercy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and speaking of killing their own, uh, more sebations arrive because they opened the cargo doors to vent some to vent some heat, yeah. and they turned off the propulsion. A pilot did, leaving them vulnerable to the newly arrived marauders. Something is wrong here, sir. This ship is floating dead in space with its cargo doors wide open. Our scans show her propulsion systems is fully operational. Why? When we secure the rest of the ship, you will have your answers. Our objective is the command. Advance, Patton Decker. Shoot to kill is your order. Rigel is still stuck in the walls of Moya, and apparently the truce doesn't extend to him because he's like still terrified of these uh, critters which are sitting there. Whereas oh, everybody yes. else has retreated and is like back in comfort, and like <laughs> yeah. he is still sitting there, like trying to hide from them, not move because apparently their vision is movement based. They just get agitated when he when he moves. They they don't advance when he stands still, yes. and so Dargle the obvious commands him, "Don't move." move. Yes. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I wasn't going to. I had gotten to that part. And then we get, as you mentioned, the scene where the peacekeepers arrive. The the marauder uh, lands with the commando team on board. Five-man crew, highest level of training, success measured by body count. And they looked so cool in their armor and their helmets. And wielding guns and their tactical visors and all and of that. And they actually moved pretty well. Like they there did, was a there was cool military movement because apparently one of the uh, one of the crew whom Brian Henson described as the muscular one, yeah. no, not entirely, uh, was like the British equivalent of Navy SEALs. I think it's called the Special Boat Service. Which is also so a TV he could, station, but yeah. He could train the other uh, Aussie actors in, in, in proper like coordination oh, okay. and, yeah, and like check the works. corners. Because yeah, yeah. they, they, they do look fierce until they take their helmets off and they have these terrible tattoos on their face. They, oh, I like, kind of like, like the cold look. Really? It was kind of like, yeah. It's, it's like they're all little pharaoh cosplayers. Are you sure that they are tattoos and they're just like not the uh, peacekeeper equivalent of you know uh, war paint oh I thought you were going to say that the peacekeeper equivalent of, of putting like 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 grease on the inside of binoculars to give somebody else fake glasses <laughs> that they often <laughs> with each other's helmets <laughs> that would have been even more awesome but yeah no I mean yeah the first they lose the, 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 the visors then they lose the helmets uh, and we can see like it's a little bit of a slow striptease that we get for, by the uh, yeah. yeah because they're suffering from the heat as well, uh, which Dargo described like uh, sebation heat delirium. It's a weakness not enough for them to die from. So they start by shooting a copy of Zahn, which seems to disturb the monarch, who doesn't at first realize that this is not uh, the crew which have broken the truce. Uh, but I noticed, like, first they shoot they shoot Dargo, and then one of the one of the uh, the bugs, one of the the actual sort of skitter creatures, comes over and attends to the corpse of Dargo. They shoot that, and then the monarch really freaks right. out. That one she really feels sort of like maybe the maybe the, the duplicates are just sort of drones. I guess, uh, whereas the bugs are her actual children that she's connected somehow, with. Somehow, somehow that must be true. Yes, because the, yeah, yeah, I noticed that as well. That. Uh, Shooting the things doesn't seem to give her much more much of the the tremors of pain. So with the uh, with the truce broken by creatures that uh, the monarch identifies as the same ones that like she accuses them of of, of betraying or the, betraying the truce. Yes, uh, recognizing the other peacekeepers as more of them. But Rigel steps up to the plate, literally steps up. Like you see him actually walking. Yes, you, that, which was an interesting bit of CGI. And I and I loved how he he walks sort of into this tunnel, and you see him walking into the tunnel. And it's clearly CGI, and then he's into the tunnel, and then he's just a, a silhouette. And that must have been the puppet. So this. 
sort of I saved themselves the the trouble of doing that CGI as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And he and he petitions her as uh, uh, oh, I, because Zan gives him the courage to do that. She asks him, "What would Rigel the First do?" Ah, uh, yes, another obvious ploy. But apparently, he is a very easily manipulated person. W W R T F D. W W R T F D. What would Jesus do? Oh, uh, what would Rigel the First do? Uh, <laughs> very droll. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I call that a comedic win. <laughs> At once your equal and your humble petitioner requesting an audience. When the bu- when the little bug Talk. steps aside and yeah. uh, moves around and let actually lets him into one of those proboscis type things, the monarch is apparently swayed by this uh, by this diplomacy um, and is open to Crichton's new plan, which is if you let us out of here, we'll kill them. Yep. We'll get rid of them we'll get, and yeah. uh, and save us all. Down with that. And the monarch says, yes, sure, I will I will lower the heat. And Crichton like looks at Aaron, says, No, turn it up. Yep. And Aaron agrees with what this. A like sacrifice. Because she, yes. she, she knows what it's going to do to her. But it's also going to do the same to the others. And it's like, I guess at this point it's very clear that now she is definitely considers herself more part of the crew, at least that she isn't yeah, isn't, isn't expecting any mercy from her own kind, and that she truly is out on her own there, and that she would just as rather help kill the other uh, enforcers and die herself in the process. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Because the the, the commandos do re- remark on that when they see the uh, uh, the the, the drac corpse of Aaron. Yeah, uh, and recognize him. Oh, that's Officer Soon. How fortunate for you to be spared the punishment of a Captain Grace Court Martial. Well, that would probably be a very short trial. And then we have the little interaction between uh, Creighton and uh, Denticles again, where he goes like, "It's just you and me," and, and <laughs> yeah. then he goes like, "No, no, actually, it's just me." And you. <laughs> and you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Oh, dog on the obvious. Yeah, by this time, the other the other peacekeepers, like, they're stripped down to their skivvies. Yeah, they, uh, they're getting more and more. We're seeing more of the, the, the muscular ones. And it's like, yeah, it's like... Showing off more tattoos. Oh, they've all got the same sort of shoulder tattoos, I'm noticing. Okay. I guess that might be a unit thing. Oh, yeah, that's right. Death from above or something. Yeah. <laughs> And Crichton has a has a wonderful gambit where a bunch of the drac copies of, of Crichton walk onto the bridge while they're collapsing from uh, from heat delirium up yes. there, and he bluffs that he's that he's one of them. Like the, one of the commandos even got a, gets a blade to his neck and he says, "Yeah, go ahead, use it. Use your blade. The next time Chris sees my face, his crew will be dead, and he'll be staring up from a pool of his own blood." Actually, that's the one who was talking, wasn't it? So that was actually him getting the blade to his neck. Yeah, yeah. he was just pretending. But and, he was and, just bluffing. A brave gamble, Crichton. Nah, you wouldn't have let him skewer me. And his bluff was, I am a replicator. Yep. Because they haven't seen duplicates of the others yet. They saw two Luxons, but they can't tell them apart. The scene really works, because normally they probably would have just started shooting, because apparently their success is measured in the body, in the body count. count. Yeah. But because they're all suffering from heat delirium, makes it like a very plausible ploy. What kind of creature are you? That's a good question. It's too bad Christ didn't ask that before he declared war on me. They're not operating on full uh, on full capacity, so they're easily bluffed. And he like makes him yep. sound like they're, he's like a, a, a shape, not a shapeshifter, like a duplicator, like he's some alien with with superpowers that they should fear. Because that's his bluff. That's his strategy. That's why f- he stops. Yeah. And I'm going to f- you up if you like don't go away. And therefore, lets them. Let them go. Yeah, let them go. Get them back to their own ship. Uh, a, a risky gambit. So the marauder disappears. The scuttlebots start cleaning up the uh, the blue goop, and we are treated to a scene on the bridge again. Yes, because the the drac are are, are returning now. Departing. There's a final farewell from. Uh, 
Uh, oh, from, from the monarch, the monarch to Rigel. To Ry- yes. Yeah, completely blanking the rest. Yes. It's like, <laughs> especially Creighton is like still trying to like play in his role of spokesperson <laughs> yes. here. Well, I think I can speak for all of us when I... She just walks past him. No, just totally goes, blanks goes, him. Yeah, Rigel's like, Rigel is the one I'm talking to now. We shall not meet again, great ruler. Again, stroking his ego or maybe even stoking it. Uh, right, uh, Crichton calls him Big Fella. Big Fella! Ah, yes. It's a fun little nickname. You've got a DRD with a little broom trying to get rid of the uh, the coagulant that yep. was uh, that was everywhere. Uh, and finally, like Zan is worn out from uh, from probably the, the, the venom. Crichton guides her back to her, her quarter, says you can lean on me and says... Yes, I know I can. Ah, yes, that was quite sweet. And they sort of resolve the lessons that she's been that she's been counseling with. They also have a little it's it's like a little coda that that made this seem like more of a regular sci-fi program mm-hmm. where he asks her about okay, so we saw these creatures and I thought that they were that they were bugs to to be smashed. But oh yes, and I, I would have done the same thing to the dentic and those germ bugs that you injected me with when I first came on board. The translator microbes. Yeah, those guys. But and these DRDs, and you see they're good. So what's the what's the What's the difference? Yeah. Just to think about that for a minute. There's, no, it's there just, just arbitrary. They're just life. Every, everything's life. And yeah, like even even Moya, she's our she's our protector and she's our home, but she's also our servant, and we and, and depends on us as well. Also, a kind of symbiotic relationship, I suppose. I didn't think it was particularly well developed as, no. a, as an argument. I think maybe the writers thought that they were going to make more know, of it later. Maybe more of it later, or that this yeah. is something that you had to do in sci-fi. You know, the little button at the end where you rehash the moral issue that you face today and the yes. lesson that you oh, that you learned. Oh, at least they don't <laughs> seem to do that very heavily here. Uh, they tend to close with a uh, with a with a relationship moment with, a, yeah. with between two characters. So here again, uh, John and and Aaron out on the on what they on call the, the terrace. terrace, where apparently she was like taking her repose after the heat ordeal. Oh, it's so gorgeous because it's it's like open. Yeah, it's, it's entirely like, open. It must so, be some force domed yeah. bridge. Yeah, because you can you can look balcony. down over the yeah. skin of of Moya with the with the the veins and the and, and the ligaments. And you're standing the, on the outside. I mean, I guess that would like be a little bit freaky at first. So she she finally asks him the question that she required of him. She made him promise like kill me before the uh, uh, the heat delirium takes me. Yes. Like, could, you have, could you have done it? Well, she gets a bit of a digging at him first with the remark that she's learned a lesson too. I always thought that. Lesser life forms were useless. Just something to be squashed. Uh, yeah, it's like heavily <laughs> implying that, like... Crichton doesn't get it at first. No. Well, on behalf of lesser life forms everywhere, I accept the compliment. After that, she would have given her the mercy killing if she'd laid that one on him before. <laughs> I thought it was a good episode. I thought it was yeah. like, the early ones they're not very very highly regarded and and this sort of felt like a like a bit of a monster of the week thing. They are fairly episodical in the beginning you said. And the shows can be like this show can be anything. Yeah. Now it's a now it's a now it's a creature feature. Last week it was a, it was ET. It can just it can just go anywhere with these characters. Yeah. I'm I'm enjoying it so far. It's like oh, I'm it, really it glad you're thing. enjoying it. The visuals are stunning. It's like especially for like something that's late 90s it's just like yeah, unbelievably right? good. The special effects really hold up, and the gorgeous designs, like the, the the whole ship. It's like it's like it's like Gaudi. Ah, yes, it is. Right, a bit, yeah. the, the sort of naturalist, and with with all of these beautiful materials, and all of the like, it continually looks different. It's very organic. Yeah, and that's the story so far, Scape. 
We'll see you next week with episode 104, Thrown for a Loss, where a group of Tavieks come aboard for trade negotiations. Rigel takes a vitally important crystal from Moya to make himself seem wealthy. The Tavieks kidnap Rigel and take him down to the planet, leaving one of their wounded on board. Everyone goes to the surface to get him, except Zahn, who stays on board to keep an eye on the Taviek left behind. That's a that's a really expansive synopsis. We're probably gonna, gonna gonna do better than that in the in the future. But in the meantime, you can find us at SoFarscape on Twitter and Facebook and on SoFarscape.com. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. So, so Farscape, Farscape so, so good. good.